Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 233 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with John Rulin about how to use gifts as part of your marketing strategy. Today's podcast is brought to you by Podium, Ruby Receptionist, Text Expander, and Spotlight Branding. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. This week is Client Accessibility Topic Week on Lawyerist. You can find all sorts of new and interesting content on the topic on the front page of Lawyerist or our new episode of Lawyerist Lens on YouTube. And we were meant to talk about the topic here this morning, but the reality is that we have had so many much better conversations with guests on this show about the topic that you and I talking more about it would do a disservice to those much better (laughs) conversations. So if client accessibility is something you are curious about, you can check out episode 147 with Haben Gurma or episode 215 with Lainey Feingold, both of which were honestly two of our better conversations of all time. They were both really great and interesting. And Haben Gurma is in the process of publishing her autobiography, and she's going to be back on our show in just a couple of weeks to talk about her new book. And if you just want to go beyond that, if you've already listened to those episodes, I'd Google a little bit about Microsoft's inclusive design philosophy. There's a lot of really cool resources out there that Microsoft makes available. Or if you want some more reading, the Microsoft Style Guide, or the Microsoft Manual of Style, is actually an excellent read in its early chapters about how to think about building products and talking about products and writing about products in an accessible way. And I think a lot of it transfers directly to law firm websites and documents and things like that. So there's some additional ideas for places to look and things to check out. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Mark Sonilia from Spotlight Branding and then my conversation with John. Hey, this is Mark from Spotlight Branding. I'm the co-founder and we focus on marketing for solo and small law firms. And we use the internet to help them get more referrals and better clients. And I'm really glad to be on the show today. Thanks for being with us, Mark. So you mentioned referrals and I know from talking with a lot of lawyers that they say, hey, I get all of my referrals by word of mouth and so I don't need the internet. And maybe we could take that apart a little bit and talk about the role the internet plays. So are we missing out on word of mouth if we're not on the internet? Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that even aside from the internet, I think a lot of law firms don't realize that they are missing out on more referrals than they realize. One of the things that I've seen is that there seems to be this sense of because I'm getting a lot of my business through referrals, that I must be doing good in that area. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I don't necessarily need to it's not even just the internet. And I mean, the funny thing is sometimes they go to the internet, but they're thinking like pay-per-click ads on Google and things like that. So some people think they're doing great with referrals and they don't need the internet at all. Some people think they're doing great with referrals. And so they're ready for the next thing. And what we found is that a lot of times you don't actually realize how many more referrals are out there for you from people you already know. Uh, You're just not tapping into your network as fully as you could be. It sounds like you're talking about referrals from my online life, my online social networks, but maybe also just the way in which things happen 
like I, I often always say, if somebody says you should call Mark Cernelia, well, the first thing I'm going to do is pull out my phone and Google you. I'm not going to remember to send them a letter later and ask for your phone number. That's just how online, offline interact these days. Yeah, well, and I think they're both just so integrated now. I mean, mm -hmm. even people that are referred to you, like you said, they're going to look you up online. Things like social media and email are methods of communication to stay in touch with people you already know. So, you know, this idea that the internet is some vacuum where I'm only <laughs> discovered by new people yeah. is so far from the truth. And it, the internet's a really great place to stay in touch with people you already know as well through things like social media, email, putting out content. And it's just amazing how far that can go and actually creating more word of mouth referrals without actually having to, you know, meet new people and expand your network. So I know a lot of lawyers, though, say, you know, I've tried that internet thing and there just aren't any good clients there. So can we acknowledge that referral clients are still the best clients? Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's the key. I mean, most people agree referrals are the best kinds of clients. Typically, they're easier to close because they were recommended. They are come in kind of with a certain esteem that they have for you or your firm because they, of course, were referred. This typically means they're more willing to pay the appropriate rates. And ideally, somebody said, hey, go to Mark. He really took care of me and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't think somebody would prefer a lead from Google over a referral. Right. You know, I mean, there might be time for their equal, but certainly you're never like, I just love internet clients, you know? <laughs> um, but I think here's why that's so important because still in today's digital world, referrals are the best kinds of clients in so many ways. And I think, again, you know, not to be a broken record here, but I think most lawyers don't realize just how many referrals they are leaving on the table. And so when you recognize that referrals are still the best kinds of clients, the first thing you should ask yourself is, well, what could I do to maximize referrals from my existing network and my existing clients? So how do we think about that? How do we get away from whether it's the idea or the reality of random people coming to our website, which we don't want, and moving towards referrals from the internet? How do we start doing that? Maybe you can give us a couple tips with the time we have left. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we've had a lot of success with at Spotlight Branding is using things like social media and blogs and content and email newsletters to stay in touch with your existing network. So for example, I still get in conversations sometimes with lawyers about whether or not they should have an email newsletter. It's a no brainer. With one click of a button, you can remind your entire database, your entire Rolodex, if you still have one, hmm. you can remind all of them what you do and that you're still here. You know, social media is all about staying in touch with people. So your firm should have a presence on social media so that it stays top of mind and stays in touch with people. And it's amazing. It's not that complex, but when you publish your blogs and you send out an email newsletter and you post regularly on social media, your existing network will begin to give you more mm -hmm. because most referrals are missed out on because people forget about you. They forget what you do. It's just that simple. Staying top of mind is the key solution to generating more word of mouth referrals in the internet as a phenomenal tool for staying more top of mind. So speaking of referrals, your company has put together a free referral tracking spreadsheet to help lawyers keep track of those referrals. And our listeners can find that at spotlightbranding.com slash referral dash tracking. Spotlightbranding.com slash referral dash tracking. And obviously we'll put that link in the show notes. Mark, thanks so much for being with us today and talking about word of mouth referrals online. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. And I really encourage everyone to check out that spreadsheet. I can't tell you how many lawyers I talked to that aren't tracking their referrals specifically. And that's an area you want to grow. And that spreadsheet is going to be an easy way for you to input your referrals and watch how they grow month over month and year over year.
John Rulin, author and founder of Giftology, and we own a gifting company. We speak all over the world on the topic of using gratitude and gifting as a marketing tool and as a competitive advantage. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. So I just finished Giftology a few days ago, and I like the phrasing of strategic gifting. Maybe we should say a little bit more about that first, because it almost sounds cynical. <laughs> so what do you mean by strategic gifting or giftology? Yeah, well, a lot of people, when they hear the word gifting, they automatically think of promotional items or swag right. or trinkets or gifting out of obligation. Cheap pens, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the crappy stuff at a trade show or stuff that you get at the holidays that you uh, eat and drink too much and you know the fruit basket, that kind of stuff. And there's not a whole lot of thought put into it. And so really, at a core level, every business and most professional service firms, it's a relationship building business. Everything rises and falls based on the relationship. And anything that you do that touches that relationship matters. You know, it's like walking into an interview and if you know you could be the most amazing candidate on the planet, but if you got crappy shoes or your shoes aren't shined, like that's the little thing that people will remember. And in business, the little things oftentimes determine whether you get a referral or not, or whether you get you know, a, a door open for you. And so gifting at a core level, if it's strategic gifting, should be a gift that amplifies and makes you stand out and makes the relationship deeper. It should be something that is lasting. So at a core level, most people, you know, when they're looking at their entire business model, you know, they got their operations and finance and marketing, whatever else. Gifting is this afterthought. And what we found is that if you do it strategically, We've seen people get a hundred X in what sounds almost like, you know, radical and almost made up, but a thousand X ROI off of doing gifting strategically to their most important relationships. You made me think that, you know, gifting is kind of a way of trying to embed yourself in the consciousness of another person, right? So that if you give a good gift, then every time they see it, they will think about you. You know, it's like when you're dog training and you have a clicker every time you click, the dog does something, but it's a similar kind of thing where if you do a good job of it, then you become somebody who's on that person's mind to make a referral to buy from you, whatever. Yeah. I mean, most people, they're marketing or in relationship building, you're trying to be liked Mm -hmm. You're trying to be trusted and you're trying to be top of mind. And what's interesting is that, you know, gifting, if it's done well, does all three of those things better than almost anything else on the planet. And the simple fact is most people suck at gifting. Like they suck at gifting. <laughs> right. they, they, you know, if you ask most people's spouses, like, what's your husband or wife the best at? Especially in a lot of male dominated industries, the guys just they don't they're not good at gifting their significant other. And that carries over into business. So if everybody was amazing at it. They, it would just be noise. It'd just be marketing noise. It'd just be like taking people out to a Morton Steakhouse. It'd be like taking people out for golfing or to a ball game. Like all of those things, people are like, oh man, that's so amazing if they were the only one doing it. But because right. everybody does it, it just becomes noise. And so gifting is one of those little lever points that people are like, who cares about gifting? Like I, I spoke at Google and you could tell like everybody in the audience is like crossing their arms. Like really you're going to talk about like, gifting and gratitude as this competitive <laughs> advantage. But by the end of it, I had a line of people and people coming up and saying, yeah, I even had some people saying, hey, is giftology hiring? And I laughed. I'm like, you work at Google, <laughs> but but they never really thought about like the power right. of it. And and when we shared the stories and the system and the and the methodology and then like the real like live like results, people are like, holy crap! Like if every business rises and falls based upon these relationships and how you show gratitude and and make people feel matters, then all of a sudden gifting takes on this huge role in a, in a company, whether you're doing a million dollars in business or a billion dollars really doesn't matter because it all rises and falls on whether one relationship or a thousand relationships. So yeah, it's, it's funny to see people's like the light bulbs go off and they're like, 
oh my gosh, like now I understand why you have 25 pro sports teams as clients. Like this stuff makes logical sense. Like it's not pie in the sky, like sit around a tribe and, and hold hands and sing kumbaya. Like there's really a methodology and a science to it. So the obvious question here is what makes a good gift? And I, you know, like I'm probably a more difficult than average person to give gifts to, but I feel like I have gotten very, very few gifts that I have kept for more than even five minutes um, <laughs> in the course of my business life. You know, most of them are just garbage and, and go into the garbage. And how, how do we avoid that? How do you how do you give a gift that somebody wants? Yeah, well, there, there's a sweet spot for gifting because in any industry, most people focus on the trinkety gifts or the Starbucks gift cards or the bottles of wine. The stuff, stuff with that, their logo on them. Yeah, stuff with your logo on it or they'll try too hard and they'll send Rolexes and Louis Vuitton bags and, and stuff like that. And people assume like, well, you're in luxury gifts. That's the gifting that you're doing. And that, that can actually communicate the wrong thing too. It can, you know, you're charging too much. You're trying to buy my loyalty. You're trying to bribe me. You're trying to manipulate me. And so we don't do those either. Most of the gifts that we do fall in between what you, it would cost to take somebody out to a nice dinner out with wine, ball game tickets, or a round of golf. Most of the gifts that we're doing are in the $100 to maybe $3,000 range. Yeah, you you make the point there that like giving somebody a really expensive gift, the value of the gift doesn't necessarily come across. You know, like I think at one point you say giving Apple products, like everybody already has an iPhone. It, it's a utility thing that we just have. The expense of it doesn't add up really. And buying somebody Louis Vuitton handbags or whatever, if they're the kind of person who already has those kinds of things and you've just added another handbag to their collection. It's not necessarily a, a great memorable thing. No, Apple, I, I actually, we put together for all of our clients a white paper on the 10 worst gifts to avoid giving. Yeah. And food is on there. Alcohol is on there. Gift cards are on there. Apple is one of those things. If your tribe or your audience wants to download the 10 worst gifts to avoid giving, they can go to the giver's edge, thegiversedge.com and download the whole list. And it's not only the list, but it's an explanation of why they're the worst. But yeah, Apple, like you think about a phone, you're like, you get a phone every year and so you're paying $1,000 for something to give as a gift, and it's gone in a year. Like, it's outdated. Yeah. Um, you give somebody an, an iPad, my kids already all have iPads, like, because <laughs> I've been gifted so many iPads, and it sounds kind of mean, but when you give something to somebody, you know, something that they already have, or something that you can go buy at Target or Walmart, it's not a great gift. But a lot of the gifts that we do tend to be personalized to the person. So something that they can use. But specifically, when you're in the business world, most executives are getting gifts all the time. Yeah. And so getting a gift for somebody like you would be difficult. So my goal would be to, to gift your inner circle. So I'd gift your assistant. If you're married, I'm going to gift your wife or your significant you other. You gift your way up the ladder? You gift your way up the ladder. Oh, you interesting. You, I like that. You, you yeah. gift the people around the person who are oftentimes treated like a pawn, a gatekeeper. They're treated like arm candy. So people are like, John, like, what's the hot new gift? And I'm like, you know what? My gifting budget this year across the board just for me is about a half a million dollars. And people are like, that's insane. Like, that's a lot of money. And I'm like, well, a lot of people will spend a million dollars on sponsorships and advertising and, and, and trade shows and all these other things. We don't do any of those things. I'll spend all of my money on gifting as marketing. And people are like, what's the hot gift? I'm like, the stupid knives. And they're like, the company you interned with back in college 19 years ago, like, you still gift those? And I'm like, we gift more of those than we've ever have. And our clients will give knives. And people are like, why would they give knives? That's stupid. That has nothing to do with business. And I'm like, well, most of the clients I'm catering to are a bunch of married dudes and uh, in construction, in finance, and, and pro sports. And I'm like, guess what? Their wives don't get gifts at all in business. And so if I give them a gift that they can take home to their entire family, that's personally monogrammed, no logos, only with their name, their family name, their spouse's name, 
most people are either foodies, they cook because they have to because they have kids, or they entertain and they host. And most homes, last time I checked, have a kitchen. Yeah. So I'll gift, whether it's one chef knife or a full five or $10,000 set built over time, I'll drip on them a little bit at a time. But I'm looking for something that I can give them that they wouldn't, most people aren't going to go buy a three or five or $10,000 set of knives for themselves. But they'd love to have one. They'd use it. And when they see their name on it, maybe their favorite quote on the engraved on the back when it's beautifully packaged. The other thing that we won't do a gift unless and, and when clients hire us to do all their gifting for them, they're like, oh, we, we want this email to go out or we want this type letter to go out. And I'm like, we won't do your gifting for you. And they're like, what do you mean? I thought we could just order a thousand gifts from you. I'm like, yeah, you can. But every one of those has to have a handwritten note. Mm. And they're like, well, that doesn't matter. Like, can't we just automate it on Amazon? I'm like, no, think about it. Like, in 2019, a handwritten note oftentimes is more important than the gift that you're sending it. And so people will hire us, we'll handwrite all of their notes for them. But if they're not willing to pay to have a handwritten note go with it, it feels automated. It feels stale. It feels manipulative. It feels like just like a, um, a gift that doesn't have any meaning. Like when you get a gift from a significant other, oftentimes the handwritten note that goes with it is what brings the context and the meaning to it. And so it's oftentimes not just what you're sending. It's when you're sending it, it's the packaging around it, it's the handwritten note, it's the fact that you're not putting your logo on it, it's the fact that it's not something that's consumable. So it's people are like, well, can't we just cut the corners and not do that, or can't we just do the, you know the gift at Christmas? And I'm like, no, we won't. I won't send your gift at Christmas. Well, and in fact, you say like, you know, we, you've been throwing around big numbers for gifting, but you've said, look, like until you can spend what is an appropriate amount, you should just send the note and forget about the gift because the note is more valuable than a bad gift, which makes yeah. a ton of sense to me. Well, most of the people that you're buying gifts for, whether they're your employees, your clients, your client's assistant or whoever, they can like we live in America. Like there's like these books, essentialism, like I have a box near my door at home that we take to Goodwill every week. Like we're getting rid of stuff every week. Like most people don't need more crap. They don't need more stuff. But we all have room for a thoughtful artifact. And that's why when people are like, oh, I want to spend $10,000 on a gift. I'm like, you don't need to. A, B, you're wasting money and you're going to communicate the wrong thing. So it's not about the dollars that you're investing per gift. It's the thoughtfulness behind it. It's the personalization. <laughs> and, it, and, and I guess it just occurred to me too that like if you bought me a box of monogram Cutco knives, they would go to Goodwill. Like I don't want them. And so it would make somebody feel really bad if they spent $1,000 on something that I just send to Goodwill because, and it'd make me feel bad to do it, but I don't want them. It makes it hard. You know, you want to put some thought into it. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to, to get something to somebody that they're actually going to use, that they're actually going to appreciate and specifically a lot of the you know a lot of the people that we engage with are like john i think that you know like i I can think of john bowen who's one of the top financial advising coaching companies in the world he's like john i think your knives and stuff are stupid i got he's like i I get it (laughs) but i don't and so i sent knives and a custom leather bag and a few other things it wasn't louis vuitton it was just a u.s made and uh six months later he reached out he said john i feel like i'm sleeping with your sales rep and i Mm -hmm. laughed i said what do you mean he said, uh, I thought the gifts were dumb, but the fact that you engraved my wife Jan's name on the pieces, she thought they were awesome. She's been using them every day. And every night before we go to bed, she's asking about John Rulin. Are you going to do dinner <laughs> with John Rulin? Are you grab lunch with John Rulin? Have you done any deals with John Rulin? This is insane. Like, my wife's never met you. She's seen all the tricks in the trade book of, like, all these things. I own a private equity company. I worked in finance on Wall Street. So the fact that you got my wife to be your sales rep and to advocate for you I, he's like, I think there's something here. Yeah. And he's like, I want to try it out with my clients. He's like, I got all these financial advisors. I want to do a gift at our next event. And I'm like, nope, we don't do it at the event. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, I want to send the gifts 
to your top 200 advisors. They're all million-dollar earners, right? And he said, yep, they're all seven figures or above. And I said, we're going to send the knives ahead of time. And, and I said, you got to do the homework to get the wife's name. And he's like, but that'll take hours. And I'm like, get your assistant on it and track down all the wives' names. And he's like, seriously? And he's like, but what's the shipping going to be? I'm like, you're, you're missing the point. We're going to ship the gifts ahead of time, three weeks ahead of the event. We're going to send them off. And he's like, okay, I'll follow the methodology. I'll do it. And afterwards, he called me. He says, John, we did the exact same event at the same Hyatt in San Francisco that we've been doing. The only thing we did differently was your stupid gifts. And uh, he's like, we asked for referrals at the end of the event. And, you know, who would you know that would like the benefit from this coaching? And he's like, the coaching services are 25 to 50 grand. So they're not cheap. He said, we, our referrals went up 107% hmm. over any other year. And the only thing we did differently was a stupid gift ahead of time, personalized to the wife of all of these top financial advisors. He's like, these guys could all afford, um, you know, a thousand of these knife sets. But the fact that we included them with a handwritten note and the timing and the packaging and the nice gift wrap and all the things you said to do communicated to them something different. And it elevated the credibility of us with our clients that we, you know, they'd already spent 25 to 50 grand, but it gave them the confidence to refer. He's like, he's like, I think your ideas sound silly, but they work and we're going <laughs> to continue to give gifts to these people. If we continue to get even a 10% bump in referrals would have been worth it, but 107% almost seemed made up and didn't seem real. So we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what not to do now that we've covered some of what does work silly or not. So we'll be right back. With Text Expander, you don't have to waste time retyping things you've already worded perfectly. Instead, just use gathered snippets of information using simple keyboard shortcuts or custom abbreviations. You can capture the important pieces of your emails, directions, messages, and data as snippets so you never have to retype them again. From correcting your personal typos and defining industry terms to whole email templates, reusing your info has never been faster and it works everywhere you type. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and now Chrome too. Listeners can get 20% off their first year by visiting textexpander.com podcast. How cool would it be to grow your practice in your preferred area of law without spending any time or money on business development? Now you can with ARAG. When you become a provider on ARAG's network, you'll consult with and represent clients on various legal issues from writing a will to dealing with traffic tickets, bankruptcy, or divorce. ARAG does the rest. They'll make it easy for clients to connect with you and even share client feedback so you can keep growing your business. Best of all, ARAG pays you directly and there are absolutely zero out-of-pocket fees to join the network. So what are you waiting for? Visit araglegal.com lawyerist. That's A-R-A-G legal.com lawyerist to learn more about the client growth opportunities in your area. Just enter your zip code and area of law to see the number of of ARAG members near you. It all adds up to more potential clients and more opportunities to make money for your firm. Expand your client base right now. In fact, more than 90% of ARAG members say they are more likely to consult with an attorney when something comes up than if they didn't have legal insurance. Check it out at araglegal.com lawyerist. That's A-R-A-G legal.com lawyerist to get started. There's more to answering a phone call than just pronouncing your name correctly. And I think that's what sets Ruby apart from all the other receptionist services out there. I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of people who work at Ruby, and from top to bottom, it's full of the kind of people you'd love to spend time with. I guess it's something in the coffee they serve. And after all, when someone calls your firm, that means they are going to be spending time with your receptionist. You may think you get to make a first impression when you pick up the phone, but that's not how it works. Maybe your receptionist is just on the call for a minute or two, but that's all it takes to form a first impression. So it's a good idea to make sure your receptionist 
dentist is the kind of person you'd want your callers to spend time with. It could be the difference between a big case and a big fail. Don't worry, Ruby can handle pronouncing your name right. They'll also help you make a great first impression. And now Ruby can even help you connect with clients right on your website with 24-7 live online chat. You can find out more about Ruby receptionists and how to make a great first impression at callruby.com slash lawyeristpod. Okay, John, so we talked about things that may seem silly, but do seem to work. We talked about some of your what not to gives and you talked about your checklist, but you say that it's not a great idea to give gifts as a thank you for a referral. Can you say more about that? Yeah. Well, everybody says that they're in the relationship building business. So like, hey, are you in the commodity business? Are you competing on price? Right. And almost everybody, whether they're in law or accounting or you know, even widget manufacturers, like, oh, we're all about quality. We're all about customer service. We're all about the relationship. You know, we're all about value add. And I'm like, okay, so what do you do with a referral? And they're like, oh, we send a gift. And I'm like, guess how many gifts I send after referrals? And they're like, oh, probably thousands. And I'm like, zero. And they're like, well, you don't say thank you for the referral? And I'm like, no, I send a handwritten note to say thank you for the referral. But if I send a gift, somebody sends me a referral and it's worth, you know, let's say 100 grand in fees. And I send them a, you know, a $500 custom made personally engraved wine tool. What did I just communicate? What did I just do? I just turned that into a tit for tat. You give me 100 grand, I give you a $500 gift. You turned it into a transactional relationship. Mm-hmm. And you say you're not in the transactional relationship, you're in the relationship building business. Whereas if I turn that around and I send the $500 tool or whatever it was, or $250 gift to 100 or 200 of my top relationships as a just because, mm-hmm. hey, I was thinking of you, it's the middle of September, I just appreciate the relationship, I love you as a person, I could send the same gift to all hundred relationships or all thousand relationships. And I do that all the time. We do that once a quarter. So it's more about treating that person as a person who you value your relationship with them versus thank you for that referral. Here's my payment for it, basically. Yeah. And then what's interesting, and we had a client that did that and they sent it out you know, to one of the professional sports teams that they work with. And they gifted that person, you know, once a quarter for like six or seven years. And one day they got 38 referrals hmm. from that one professional sports team. And basically, you know, it's similar to a marriage. Like when you continually make deposits in your significant other mm-hmm. without asking for anything in return, you know, and, to, and you know, we all have that kind of mental account and of a relationship and you make deposits over and over again, don't ask for anything in return. Like we're all, whether we realize it or not, you know, like whether you're a person of faith or not, like we're wired, God's wired us for reciprocity. Like that's just our, in mm-hmm. our DNA as a human being. It's why like in tribes, like, you know, it's why we gathered together as human beings is to be able to have each other's backs. It goes back 5,000 years. And so when you continually make deposits without asking for anything in return, subconsciously in our DNA, we want to reciprocate. That's just who we are as human beings. We want to keep that, the scale somewhat even. And when you continue to do that, whereas if, you know, you wait until somebody gives you a referral and then you just reward that referral, especially in an affluent community, they're not referring you business because of the gift. They're referring you business because you're going to make them look good because you're going to take care of the client. You're going to take care of them and not with a gift. So people, it's like, you know, it's a slimy thing of like, you know, direct TV says, Hey, if you, you know, refer a friend, you get a hundred dollar gift card. Nobody's referring their friend and you know, that's making six or seven figures that just feels weird and uncomfortable. It's like a carrot and stick method. 
but we all it devalues love it the referral as well. Yeah. It devalues it a thousand percent. Whereas if you just send gifts to your relationships, your clients in your war market and your, you know, your sources of, of referrals and just say, and do it as a, just because I was thinking of you. The only other time I'll send a gift is if somebody gives me their time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I hate the phrase, pick your brain. But if I, you know, if I go out to, you know, business or I got to lunch with somebody and somebody gives me, you know, an hour of their time or I jump on the phone with somebody and whether they're a client or not, they give me 15 minutes of their time. That's time that they'll never get to go spend with their family, on their business, with their kids or on their hobbies. Time is our most valuable asset. So I send gifts all the time thanking somebody for their time because it's the one resource most people waste of somebody's and it's their most valuable thing. Like they'll never get it back. And people are blown away. Like I, I remember when I would send like, you know, to a billionaire and, and the billionaire is like, John, this is the first time anybody's ever sent me this level of a gift. And I, I gave you 20 minutes of my time over a cup of coffee. Like it mm-hmm. was like the shortest meeting ever. But the fact that you sent me a handwritten note and a gift and you personalize it to my wife, like I, I I'll take your, your phone call and any day, anytime, like so blown away. And at the time I was 23 years old, like they were blown away that it was that young and I did it, but it solidified in my mind, the idea of doing a gift either just because, or just, you know, because of the relationship or because of somebody's time, but avoiding the times that are expected. If you really want to stand out, that's the time to do it. I really like that because, you know, especially the busier I get, especially as I'm a parent and, a <laughs> you know, in running this business and things like that, I, the harder it is to say yes. And it's nice if somebody just acknowledges that taking time out of, out of my day was an actually valuable thing <laughs> instead of just assuming that I give away my time whenever I can. I mean, I try to, but it's nice to have an acknowledgement. So yeah, we all crave that appreciation and acknowledgement that our time is valuable and that, that the relationship Here's maybe a good place to insert. Our listenership is mostly lawyers and thank you gifts to referrals are problematic for many lawyers, ethically problematic. And so would be thank you gifts to potential clients. So let's just set that aside. And, you know, obviously the standard disclaimer here, check with your ethics rules before you start giving out valuable gifts. But that doesn't mean you can't give some. And I think the when to give really goes to that. If you're giving a gift as a thank you for a referral, then that is where you might actually have ethical issues. But maybe talk more about when should you give? You you said maybe quarterly, you just sort of have a gift giving day. I assume you're not into Christmas and Thanksgiving all that much as well. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no ABC gifting, <laughs> no anniversaries, no birthdays, no Christmas. <laughs> and people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, like if you give a gift and they're getting 10 other gifts because it's their birthday or yeah. you give a gift and you it's expected lost. because you get lost in the shuffle. You know, think about most people's conference rooms. Think about your own. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's ready to collapse from all the candy and nuts and popcorn and salamis and fruit baskets and bottles of wine and bourbon and golf stuff. And I mean, it's just it's one of 50 things that are sitting there, whereas even a crappy gift that shows up in the middle of July just because it's the only thing that showed up that week that wasn't a bill or an invoice or something, like it, it means it, it matters. And if you can combine it with a gift that's been personally engraved or personally monogrammed or personally, you know, personalized to somebody's assistant, spouse, and it shows up, I call it planned randomness. Yeah. You know, hmm. I'm giving it it's at a time. To them, I, I, not to you. Exactly. Yeah. I lay out a schedule for some of our clients that hire us. I'm like, hey, we can lay out for the next three years. What gifts you're going to be giving these this group of clients or or referral sources is going to get gift you know four times a year or two times a year, but it's never at a time they're expecting it. Think about like a bonus. If you give a bonus to your employees every year at Christmas, what happens after about year five? Like it becomes taken for granted. It's just lumped into to their paycheck, and they just kind of take it as a as an expectation. And when something's expected, 
it just becomes an obligation. It, you get no upside or very limited upside and only a downside. That's why I, I don't like gifts at Christmas. It's just like becomes on autopilot. Whereas if you can rotate in and if I give a gift, you know, in February one year, the next year I'm going to give it in March. And the next year after that, I'm going to give it in January. I'm always keeping them guessing because if it shows up as a surprise and delight, like it's a Ritz Carlton mentality, like it, we didn't invent this, but we're the first people that have actually put a thought process and a system to mm-hmm. it. So when our clients are hiring us, I'm like, no, we're not doing gifts. I don't care that you have this anniversary, you know, this anniversary that you've been doing it for every year for the last 40 <laughs> years. Like we're cutting that out because it just becomes noise and it just becomes expected. And we're going to, instead of doing that, we're going to give a gift three months ahead of that. And we're going to start training your clients to not know and your referral sources to not know when a gift is going to be expected. And so when you can do it that way, you're keeping them guessing and it's a positive surprise. Like most surprises in business are not positive. They're like, oh, crap, that costs more. Oh, there's a lawsuit or all there's a whatever. When you can make it a surprise and delight, that's a positive surprise and delight like a gift. The other person's like, man, I wonder what's coming next and when it's coming that's a good anticipation versus the expectation. So it sounds like you, there, there's a bit of a tension because you say on the one hand that like giving personalized gifts is important, but on the other hand, you are also giving gifts in bulk and lots of yes. people who are thinking about gifts are thinking about things like welcome gifts or thank you gifts or things like that that are also bulk in nature. Like we need a gift that we can give to nearly everyone how do you think about that differently? Like, if you know me, it's easy to select a gift for me because uh, on the one hand, I'm difficult and particular, but on the other hand, my particularities are clear and everybody knows what they are. And so I'm a piece of cake. But if I'm just one of a hundred other people, like how do you think about gifting for that group and doing it successfully or at least mostly successfully? Yeah. So the goal for us is to try to bat 80%, which is like double Hall of Fame in baseball. If I can give a gift to a hundred people and have 80 of them, hmm be like, holy crap, this is amazing. The other 20, I tell people all the time, like you could send out Lamborghinis and there'd be at least one person <laughs> that would co- that would complain it's the I'm wrong color. I'm in the 20%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no matter what you said, like, gonna, like, but so if you can bat eight out of 10, now well, I say it will take it up a notch in the likelihood of it being wowed is if I send you a gift and you don't like it, but your wife likes it mm-hmm. or your husband likes it or your, or your assistant loves it, then you're just like, wow, like my inner circle, like I, it is an attaboy. Like I, mm-hmm. we're all looking to look good to our inner circle. Oftentimes the executive, you know, like if I want to buy a certain person who loves wine, a gift that they're going to love, like I'm going to have to, you know, spend $700 on this crazy code 38 wine tool, you know, that we get engraved with their autograph and the whole nine yards, or I'm going to have to buy them like, you know, a bottle of, you know, that's uh, screaming Eagle. And that's like, uh, you know, two, $3,000 for a bottle of wine. Whereas if I do something that they're, that, their spouse is into or that their assistant's into, I can spend, you know, $200 versus Mm $2,000. And if I get the other person raving about it, then I, then I end up getting the executive as well. So a lot of the gifting that we do in mass, I can pick the same gift, but I I always include the family name. If I can get the spouse's name, oftentimes in most situations I can, if I can gift the assistant, that's how I, I'm able to spend less money, still send the same gift across the board to people and the fact that there's a handwritten note that goes with it, like most gifts in corporate America don't accompany with a handwritten note. They're not packaged well. They're not showing up at a time that's unexpected. So it's all the little details that you put together with that. And it's understanding that sometimes you're going to send a gift and people just aren't going to like it. But if you can get eight out of 10 to love it, you know, those eight are going to more than make up for the two 
that uh, that are complaining that it wasn't their favorite gift. Besides knives, do you have kind of a go-to if somebody's got a sort of, a, let's say, $100 to $300 budget, what would be some of your go-tos in that category? Yeah, so so one of the gifts, it's a little bit more than, than the 100 to 300 but not much more. I used to make fun of the corporate coffee mug as being like the worst gift on the planet. I'm like, people think they're cute because they put Hershey Kisses inside. I'm like, it's still <laughs> it's still a $5.75 mug with a logo on it. And uh, this artist made, uh, without me knowing about it, made a mug for uh, this. It's called an artifact mug. They can go check it out, artifactmug.com. But they, they made one for me and my wife. And basically, it's like, you know, five $600 piece. But carved into it is my whole life story, my why, my legacy, my kids, my faith, my like anything that you could. It's almost like winning the Oscars carved into this you know, mug that takes like four weeks to make. And people are like, man, a mug's cheesy. And I'm like, I use this mug every single day. And I literally just had a client order one and hand deliver it to Necker Island for Richard Branson. And even he was impressed. Mm. And it's not because yeah. it's a mug, although the mug is useful. I'm looking at it. It's beautiful, and it's got custom art on it. For It looks like it's been customized. Every single person. person, it's customized. So I can take the same mug yeah. and give it to 100 people, and based upon how it's personalized to them, now it becomes the only mug. You know, We all drink coffee or tea for the most part. Do I made one for Jeffrey Gittimer as well because he loved ice cream, and it was oversized for his ice cream. Mm-hmm. And he's like, John, and he's like 70. He sold 4 million you know, sales books. He's like, John, you will never beat this gift. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, this is like the most cool. Like, it's t- every time I use it, I'm I'm not only reminded of you, but I'm reminded of what's important to me. He's like, this is the one of the coolest things anybody's ever given me in my 70 years of living. I'm like, really? He's like, and Jeffrey's the kind of guy. He's from Jersey, you know, New York. Like, he, he you know drops more f bombs in in 60 seconds than most people drop in a lifetime. And he's very black and white. But so so something like that. You take something that most people you know, don't care about. It's like why we spend $3 on our business cards. I try to take something that's very insignificant in their life that most people have a cheap version of. And I try to take it up not one or 2% higher. Mm. I try to take it up, you know, uh, you know, 100% or 10,000%. That makes sense. Because if it's an insignificant everyday thing that you use all the time, you're likely to use a really nice version of it too. Yeah. You probably wouldn't buy it for yourself. Exactly. So like if I do a portfolio for somebody, people are like, I already get one at every conference I go to. I'll do a $300 portfolio that gotcha. is personally monogrammed with somebody's name that was handmade down in Tennessee or whatever else. And people are like, I don't care a portfolio every day, but when I do, I grab yours and I'm like actually kind of proud to carry it. It's the one of the coolest things. I've never go spend $300 on a portfolio. So we look for those categories of what I call practical luxuries. So yeah. it's not about it's not about the watch for 15 grand. It's about the area where most people would go cheap. And if I can dial it up 10 notches for them or for their client, they're proud to carry it. And it's something they'd never do for themselves. So let's talk about pricing then, because one of my favorite parts of Giftology is where you talk about the mindset around pricing and that asking, you know, essentially what's the least I can get away with giving is such a wrongheaded approach to gift giving. Yep. Well, it's a wrong head approach to anything in life. If you yeah, want to build a relationship, right. yeah. if you want to have a long lasting marriage or a long lasting business partnership, <laughs> what's the least effort I can put into this friendship? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like, it doesn't thrive. Like our, our relationships with people, with humans, with our parents, with our kids, they just don't thrive. Whereas my original mentor, who I based a lot of the giftology book off of, he was the kind of guy that was like, he would do what's the most I can do in this situation. So if he found a deal on noodles, he'd buy a semi-load and everybody at church the next Sunday, like 300 people would walk away with like 20 cases of noodles. And I'm like, Paul, that was 30 grand. Like, are you insane? He's like, I could afford to do it. And it brought smiles to everybody's face. I wanted to do it. And, uh, and so I, when I started to incorporate that into gifting, 
most people say, what's the least I can get away with? Oh, like a box of peanut brittle. Like that's enough. It's 25 <laughs> bucks. And they pass it out to relationships that are worth $250,000 or 25000 or $2.5 million. It doesn't make any sense. And so when you can flip it on the head and say, most people would do what's the least they can get away with. I'm going to say, what's the most I can do here, uh, whether it's ethically or afford to do. And so most of our clients that hire us, they go from spending $25 to redirecting their country club membership or some of those sorts of things into their relationships this way. And so oftentimes they're investing 10% of their net profits back into the relationships with a lot, which we get pushed back. And I'm like, imagine if that client went away, what would happen? Like how much like right. profit would that be? And they're like, 200 grand. I think I wrote down that you you kind of pegged the giving levels at roughly equivalent to a nice dinner, a sports event, or an upscale club membership are kind of your giving levels. Yeah. So the 100 to $1,000 per gift is where we play most often. And if yeah. somebody, if we want to do more, we do it four times a year, which, you know, still the same cost per gift, per touch. But the goal is to to be thoughtful. The goal is to be memorable. The goal is for it to be something quality that they never go do for themselves. And in doing so, people are like, man, so $1,000 four times a year, you mean you spend $4,000 on some people? And I'm like, yeah, I really do. Because that, that relationship is worth $40,000. So I'll reinvest four grand to, to make 36 grand all day long, every day, all day. And, and, and that's really, I look at it as like loyalty insurance. Like, and what's interesting is not only do I keep that client and my clients keep their clients, but they turn those clients into, you know, they, there's a big difference between being passively loyal as a client and being actively loyal. And everybody says, John, how do you get so many freaking referrals? And I'm like, because I have the CEO of the Orlando Magic and the CEO of this company, they're actually salespeople for me. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, they're going out of their way to open doors for us, which means they're actively loyal. Like we all, like we'd love referrals without asking, but most people don't have it. They have passively loyal relationships that stick around and use their services, but they're not looking for opportunities to bring that person up over dinner or, you know, when they're out golfing with their friends and that act of loyalty of one person can change, you know, a company's entire future. I mean, I guess when I think about it, you know, if there's somebody who's referred even just one $10,000 case to me and I ask myself, okay, so what did I do to demonstrate the value of that relationship in return? And if the best I can come up with is a cup of coffee, that's actually kind of, it's fucking embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like it, it, it's not a quid pro quo and it's not a one-to-one, but like, what kind of investment have I made back? What kind of value am I putting into their life? Given all the value they're putting into my life, I should be able to justify that somehow. Yeah. And you know, we work with a lot of people, CFOs where they're like, what's the number? Like, what's the percentage? And I'm like, you should be reinvesting five to 15% of your net profits back into your clients into your key relationships to keep them, to grow them, and the secret sauce is over time to turn them into your own personal sales force. And if people ask, like, how many you know sales reps do you have, John? I'm like, I have myself and one other person. All of our, <laughs> but all of our clients, which is in the thousands, people are like, how the frick are you, you know, charging thirty grand a keynote? And I'm like, I really don't deserve it, but I have a bunch of people out there actively, you know, referring me. Speaking engagements, that's how we landed Google. It's all word of mouth. I have thousands of people out there actively pursuing. And so people are like, is the whole referrals with no asking, is that real? And I'm like, yeah, it's real. Like if you can love on people and inspire them to go act on your behalf, 
then you have your own personal sales force that you don't have to pay for. And if it's just 10% of your profits reinvested back into your people to keep them and grow them and turn them into salespeople, like that's a no brainer. We, we, we had a number of people say, well, John, what's that look like? And how, you know, like we don't want to spend thousand dollars on your course. Would you create like a mini course around that whole concept of how that works? And so that's another, you know, it can't be a gift. I <laughs> to not offer free gifts. Yeah. Your guys can go download if they want. It's referrals with no asking dot com referral oh, nice. no asking dot com and they can download the concept of of how to really do that uh, with their relationship i guess as we as we move to close here maybe some final thoughts from you on sort of adopting the mindset of a gift giver like what are some ways to think about being thoughtful and coming up with thoughtful gifts that may not come naturally to people think about it's not personal gifting or business gifting it's just gifting a gift mm-hmm. by its very nature right is recipient focus. And most people, when they're giving gifts, like if you like steak, you take people out for steak dinners. If you like golf, you take people out golfing. You make your gift, most people, if they give gifts, it's in their company colors. Mm-hmm. A gift by its very nature should be recipient focused, all about them, their preferences. And I guess there's a place for that, right? If people love your brand, then it's okay. If you're Nike, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you're Nike or Under Armour and you spent billions of dollars to make your brand cool. But most people's accounting firm or wealth firm or law firm or XYZ manufacturing widget company, you know, Magic Johnson isn't endorsing them and making their brand cool. Like you love your brand because it's your blood, sweat and tears that's put into it. But somebody else doesn't want to wear a polo shirt with your logo slammed on at the size of a softball. They just don't. So if you can start to think about how you would gift your spouse, if your spouse is into horseback riding and you buy her a four wheeler you wanted the four wheeler, like right. she wanted the horse. Um, and so, but most people give gifts that they like or that are about them versus thinking about the other person. And when you can start to like for our employees, I started to realize like, what am I really walking the talk? And so five years ago, we started to re, you know ask ourselves the question, like what would our employees really want that they wouldn't buy for themselves? And a lot of our employees are moms. They, they work full time. They work from home. They have kids, husbands, whatever else. And so we started to offer to pay. They couldn't take the cash. We paid to have their houses cleaned every other week. And it was $2,000 per employee. And, and even Google was like, oh, we can never afford to do that. And I'm like, really? Like you have slides in your lobby and, per, you know, like James mm-hmm. Beard nominated chefs. Right. I said, you can't afford to do it because you haven't made it a priority to take care of that person the way that would really make their life better and easier. And so when people are like, John, do you have an issue finding employees? I'm like, no, because all of our employees are salespeople for us. They, they fill the seats on our bus before they're even publicly available because people want to work for us because we're, we're loving on them in a way that resonates at a deep level and makes their life better and, and makes them feel a certain way. And people make decisions emotionally before they justify logically. Yeah. And that's where people are like, when we're talking to CFOs or big companies, they're like, holy crap, like... You're, you're basically tapping into somebody's psyche and by making the gift all about them, they spin around and make the response all about you. And that's at a core level. When you give more than is reasonable, it sounds like this woo-woo, like I'm, I, it's a weakness I'm going to be taken advantage of. But we have some very pragmatic, you know, very numbers-driven people that are like, John, we, we tried your concept for a few years and you're right. Like it came back to us fivefold. It came back to us threefold. It came back to us tenfold. In real numbers, not like warm, fuzzy feelings and thank you notes and text messages, like real deal flow, real referrals, real opportunity. And so it's not rocket science. What I do say is that if you do, if you're going to do this for six months as like this tactical thing, heartless gifting, 
people will read through it. Yeah, I meant to get to this. You said your mindset should be like three years. Yeah, if you're not willing to commit to this for three years, don't do it. If you're not willing to start making this bleed over into other parts of your life and make this a heart set shift, a mindset shift, and a lifestyle shift, then this could backfire. If you decide to be radically generous with people for six months and then go back to being Scrooge, you're screwed. It strikes me that like you can't just play at generosity and you can't just play at relationships and be cynical about it. Like if you're trying to build relationships, you have to actually build relationships, not just give people stuff. The gift is the entree. It's the opening to the relationship, but you still have to do it. Yeah, it's a delivery vehicle. It's yeah. a tangible delivery vehicle to make somebody to convey the emotion. But if you're a douchebag and you give great <laughs> gifts, people are just going to be like, oh, he's even more douchey. Yeah. But if you're kind and thoughtful and generous and you're hardworking and you're a great gift giver, every time they see that artifact, it's a tangible reminder and a subconscious trigger of, man, I love that guy. Man, mm -hmm. I need to send that guy business. Man, I want to do more. Like, how can I help out Bob or Steve or whatever? So it's an amplification in that top of mindedness of who you are. And if, yeah, if you're, if you're this heartless bastard that, you know, like hates people, <laughs> then gift giving is not going to be the, the magic bullet. And, but if you're doing you have the other, there's some self-awareness issues too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's an amplification of who you already are. Very cool. John Rulin, thanks so much for being with us today. John's book is Giftology. You can find it wherever books are sold and we'll obviously include a link to it in our show notes. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Mm -hmm.